Let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great day. We thank you for this unusual way to gather together to be about the study of your word, Lord. But it's a great thing for us to be able to do, to be able to have this Zoom meeting and see each other and and discuss the topics that we're going to talk about today. Now bless our time together, Lord, that we get it all and we get it right. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have our opening scripture today, which is, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What about that? See, we're, we're still, we're finishing up Love Only Begun this week. And um, it's an interesting title up there, The Comfort of the Comfortless Works. So remember we talked about the incompleteness of our works, how they, we can only kind of start them. What does the incompleteness and always accusing us-ness of our works mean? Remember that from last week? What does it mean if our works are always incomplete and that they're always accusing us? What are they accusing us of? Didn't do enough or something? Yeah, we didn't. We, we, we said we were going to love our neighbor and we kind of did, but not really. Um, if you remember the, the video clip from Pastor Wolf Miller where he said, you know, I got my, I went to work today, check. I did cross defense, check. I took out the garbage, check. I loved my wife. So I, uh, well, not completely. <laughs> so there's always something in our, in our works that um, leaves us needing to repent. Um, for their incompleteness. The law is always accusing us and pointing at us and saying, um, good try, I guess. You know, you, 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 you told yourself you were going to do that and you gave it, gave it a good try. Um, but here's something interesting. The fact that they're incomplete and always accusing us means we can't take comfort in them. Hmm. What about that? Is that where we want to take comfort? We we kind of do, don't we? We sure. want to. Where, where does the comfort come from? Then, when we do just part of the good works. Ah, well, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, but if you think about it, it's like I want to I want to feel good about myself, so I'm going to do good works. Well, they're they're never going to be complete. They're never going to be perfect. So what kind of comfort comes from that? I think we have timely right now is every time I come back from the store and I wonder, did I clean up the house good enough? Did, did, I, did I, you know, do what I needed to do? Do I do that every day? You know, right. That, that's constantly with us right now until yeah. we figure, you know. Right now we're in a big time of loving neighbor. Um, sometimes loving neighbor means not going and hanging out with them or being closer than six feet. Um, but like you're saying, sometimes it's just, did I, did I use the sanitizer at the store? Did I come home and wash up real good? Um, especially in your case, Steve, because yes, Amy, absolutely. constantly, absolutely. Yeah. Always. Um, and let's, you know, of course we're going to hope and pray that you're the most clean person in the world right now for Amy's sake. Oh, uh, but, you know, the point of, of the, this part of the, the lesson is um, that some Christians seem to find comfort in their good works. They kind of brag about them a little bit. Um, so the, the answer to this question is kind of obvious. Do some Christians take comfort in their good works? It's like, I would say so. You know, I know I do sometimes. I try to. Um, 
it's just kind of interesting that it's like if you understand works in the in the incompleteness way there's only so much comfort you can get out of that right you can get some but it's also going to possibly put you on that pendulum well, and you got Satan talking in your ears all the time about, you know, you, you, you could have done this, you didn't do that. And, mm -hmm. you know, he thrives off of that. <clears throat> oh, yeah. 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 He'll, he will point our incompleteness out to us for sure. Um, so here's the big question Why can we not take comfort in our works? Why can't we do that? Because works don't save. Yeah, very good, Rudy. Um, there's always more that we could have done, you know. Um, no harm may come to anybody. Um, like in Steve's case, nothing, Amy will be protected and all that kind of stuff. But um, there's always going to be that nagging thing. Did I, did I do enough? Could I have done more? Kind of stuff and yeah that's truth is you could do more um when the bible says to love your neighbor as yourself and that starts at home um you know it's like um did you do not did you do all the things on your honeydew list <laughs> but did you love your your wife and your kids you know and that's being tested right now with forced together and can't you know that's being tested. That's true. Um, so what does this mean? Our works uh, should never be the source of, they should never be the source of pride, right? So if we could tell ourselves that we, we did our works in a complete way, then we can get proud. We can be on that pendulum. Or if we get so hard on ourselves for what we're, wanting to do, we could be on the other side and be on the, the, uh, the sort it could be a source of despair for us. Um, I've said this, uh, I don't know how many times recently, but it's like, we always seem to want to be on one side or the, or the other of this pendulum. Oh, <laughs> Brian's dropping his phone. Yeah, I got problems here. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so it's like, why is it so hard for us as, as humans, as people, to kind of stay more in the middle, you know, instead of being pride and despair folk? Probably sin, huh? So here's that famous Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your do, your own doing it's the gift of god not a result of work so that no one may boast so this is talking about salvation like rudy was saying um for by grace you've been saved not by works why is it not by works because if it was by works we'd certainly want to take credit for it so what's ephesians telling us here Works don't work. Works don't work. <laughs> works Faith don't works. save. Faith works, but works save, don't yes. work. Yeah. You, you, you want to, like you said, serving your neighbor, you, uh, once you accept Christ, you want to help people for what he did for us. Look what he did for us, and we certainly don't deserve this, yeah. but not for anything yeah. more. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of there in the last line. It's like saying boasting is bad, right? It's telling us that boasting in ourselves and our works is excluded by the gospel so but i want to i want to go out and tell everybody all the good that i've done i want to like some christians want to go out and tell everybody how they made their decision for christ um they want to put themselves in the equation in some way shape or form right so 
but but really it's kind of like okay um when we go on facebook a lot of times it's like even if it's look at this awesome meal that i prepared and i took a nice picture of and i posted it we're bragging on ourselves is that the, the way we should be doing it yeah i always keep thinking that you know when we do good works it's to allow Christ's light to shine through us and stuff. That's the goodness of the good works. Not to make us feel good, but to let others see what Christ's done for us so that they can accept him for themselves. Yeah, but then that old Adam gets in the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he wants to come in and say, you know, look how great a chef I am. Or, And I do it, too. I post pictures of all sorts of stuff. I post pictures of my power washing and showing people how great my power washing job looks. Um, but I keep thinking when I'm doing that, it's like, that's where I should be bragging on somebody else and somebody else should be bragging on me. So that, you know, you're, you're not boasting, I guess. Yeah. So the key here is the boasting part of it, not doing the good works. Right. right. Good works is essential for building relationships, human to human. Mm -hmm. And uh, through those relationships, you share the gospel message. So it is a fine line between doing the good works and then boasting about the good works. Right. And some people boast about their building relationships with people. And they're like, you know, I'm really good at spreading the word and I'm really good at um, evangelizing. Um, You're really good at the Zoom things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I forget to look at the camera all the time. So This uh, is so relevant right now because when you watch the television all the time, they're always playing up people. You know, the, the good silver lining to all this is we're seeing the goodness of, of people, you know, and we're seeing that all the time, you know, and now we got to be careful. But. Yeah, yeah. And there's lots of good to do right now. It's more a matter of how how do we go about do we just go ahead and do it and keep our mouths quiet, you know, or do we do it and then go on Facebook and tell everybody how, how awesome we are. Or like you were saying, just as guilty, so. excluding ourselves is a good work, you know, staying away from people. Yeah. How, how the irony of that, you know, instead of out, can't get close. I have a problem like, you know, in the morning, you know, and uh, helping like these old people. Well, I'm one of them. Uh, as they're struggling to put their water into their trunk of their car and stuff like that. And I'll go up to them and I, I forget, you know, I can't be, get close to them. I could have put them in danger. And right. It's hard. I was going to Kroger the other day because we're allowed one trip a week or something. Right. Um, yeah, and a guy, track. A, <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, but a guy was coming out and you know how they have those um, red, curb areas that have the grooves in them and stuff well this guy was had his cart kind of loaded up and bags started falling out of it and I was far enough away that I couldn't just immediately do anything about it but I saw this lady that was near him and she wanted to rush up and help him that was her kind of her instinct but she was like how she stopped I, heard, I saw her stop a couple times like how close should I get is that too close should I just kind of use my foot and roll some of the cans back his direction? I mean, it was kind of weird um, that just helping somebody is changing for a while, you know? Um, and she was just instinctively going to do something good. You know, he wasn't like an, an old guy that couldn't pick up his own stuff, but it was just seemed like it was in her nature to just go help. And now yeah, she had to think about it. Kroger's also where the guy had apples and he dropped them. I jumped forward, almost bumped my head into his, and he's backing off. And <laughs> my wife said, "You got to, you can't do that." <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're, we're in a different time, that's for sure. <clears throat> what does faith do to our boasting in ourselves and our works? Well, it's supposed to silence it. That's what faith should be doing. It should be silencing or wanting to boast in ourselves and our good works. Well, it's a daily battle. It's sometimes an hourly battle. <laughs> moment to moment. Yeah. What does the promise of righteousness sever? Is that how you spell sever? 
and there's no question mark there. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I have to have at least one typo per class. No, that looks good. Um, but what does the promise of righteousness sever? It severs the pride of works from the doing of works. So it's like you were saying earlier, Steve, it's not a matter of don't go out and do good works. It's just you, you, try, you shouldn't go out to do good works to have pride involved in it, you know. Um, or getting good favor with God or something. Yeah, to earn God's favor. That's That's a better way to say it. Yeah. But you should definitely go out and do good works. You should build relationships with your neighbor, uh, at least from six feet away. So, um, so what is there no comfort in? Hmm. Bless you. What is there no comfort in? Well, there's no comfort in our doing, our efforts, our works, our determination, our sincerity, or our resolve. Because how many times do we just resolve to do better and we don't, right? Um, I'm really sincere, but I'm not going to actually follow through. <laughs> you know, uh, and I'm guilty of this too, but it's like, um, I'll pray for you. And I mean, I'll pray later at home, at bedtime or whatever, and then I just forget. Um, so I'm determined to do that, but I don't all the time. So I can't really take a lot of comfort in that. Right? Oh, hope you didn't see that. Where should our comfort be found? Where is our comfort found? See, we're going to get to the good part. Where is our comfort found? Sunday school answer. Um, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Yep. Yeah. Pleasing to God. We have the comfort of the promise and the confidence of the Lord's forgiveness because he promises to forgive us because we fall short in our good works. And we have the confidence that that's real, right? His forgiveness is real. Um, I'm just trying to think about that because... Um, That's saying a lot. It's our promise. Our comfort should be in God's promises because all his promises are yes and amen, right? If he says something, he's going to do it. Guaranteed. Right. Now, there's a, we're coming up. We're going to get to this today, I hope. But um, there's times when the Bible kind of indicates that it's okay to remind God of his promises. <laughs> And I'm not sure why we have to remind him, but I guess for our sake. Um, American Christianity does not have the comforting promises of the sacraments. We've talked about this before, how we should, we should truly know and be comforted by the fact that when we receive the absolution, when, we, when a child is baptized or an adult, um, when... Um, when we get, get the Lord's Supper, we should, we should be confident and comforted by the promises that the scripture gives connected to those things. But people that don't have the sacraments, where, how do, you know, doesn't that kind of change that? That's why most other religions are based on good works to please the God or please the gods multiple gods like in hindu there's like 360,000 gods now that you need to please so. wow and it's growing every day as more people pass away so oh okay <laughs> okay well that's kind of interesting um but here it says american christianity doesn't have the comforting promise of the sacrament because they don't believe that that um Christ is in with and under the bread and wine. They don't believe that baptism saves. They don't believe that the pastor has the office of the keys and can forgive sins. They don't believe in those three things that bring us comfort. They should bring us comfort. So what are they always doing since they don't have those? Works. Well, yeah, frustrating themselves by doing more works and getting no more comfort. Yeah, trying to figure out what what another work can I do 
to find comfort. Um, they're always looking for comfort in all the wrong places. Yeah, looking for love. Yeah, yeah, looking for God's love in all the wrong places. <laughs> so I'm going to play this little audio clip from Pastor Wolf Miller. Hopefully, it'll be loud enough. Let me turn the volume up on it here a little bit. Yeah, this is um, uh, uh, th- this is an important and, and a very profound insight that our Lutheran Church fathers had, and they said that a life without the gospel ends up being a life in one of two directions, and that is, um, on the one hand, uh, pride. Uh, that is that I've I've done enough, I've accomplished enough, I've 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 managed to please God, make God proud by the things that I've done, or despair. Uh, I'll never do enough. God must hate me. The pictures that they use are on the one hand, you have uh, the Pharisees, and on the other hand, you have Judas. And this this pendulum between pride and despair is really the life of of most American Christians. I've done enough. I've, God's pleased with me. I'm never going to do enough. God must hate me. And it's just it is just, it's just the way that it has to go when you don't have the gospel, when you don't have the kindness of the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross coming to establish you in the faith. If you don't have that, then, you know, what do you, you, those are your only two options. And so we have to um, we have to consider uh, what, what the Lord's answer to this is. He, he was he the, the gospel destroys both pride and despair. Uh, the the, the uh, Ephesians uh, by grace you're saved through faith that not of yourself it's the work of God so that no one can boast the gospel takes away all of our boasting in our own works but the gospel also takes away our despair when we come and hear this promise that the Lord loves us and that there's an absolutely sh- a sure hope for us in the gospel and this is the gift that comes in, in the promise of forgiveness so the gospel uh, knocks us out of this treadmill, off of this treadmill, out of the pendulum of pride and despair, and sets us solidly on the on the rock solid foundation of Christ, His cross, His mercy, and His love for sinners. But see what he was saying there about the gospel. The gospel is is meant to be comforting, right? The law is what's the law's job? The law's job is to accuse us not to bring us comfort. It's the gospel's job to bring us comfort. So all our works and all our doing are really connected to the law. Because remember we talked about how you don't, you don't do a promise. You believe a promise. You don't say, um, let's see, what would be a good example? Um, Believe uh, well, like you could say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved is a promise. It's it's more of a, a something to believe than to participate in doing, I guess. Um, it's, a, it's a done deal. There's nothing we have to do. That's right. Done. Yeah. It's a gift that it's a gift that was given to you. So you have to just apprehend it by faith. Um, there's nothing particularly. There's no work involved in that believing in that salvation in, in, in obtaining that gift if that if i'm making any sense there yeah it's one of those things where it's so simple it's hard you know you, yeah. it's not that complicated but we have to make it that's what we do that's that's our sin <laughs> yep yeah this is um uh stop <laughs> um so what are some of the wrong places they look for comfort i don't really have a list but if, if they're looking for comfort in all the wrong places, we said works earlier, uh, looking for comfort in their works. Mm-hmm. Is that the only place that they look for comfort? No, they look at earthly blessings as a comfort, as a reward for their good works. Oh, wow. Joe Olstein, I'll say it. You had to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we pray for them at this time, too, because they, they closed down a little earlier than most people because mm-hmm. of how large they are. So we give them credit for that. Um, and I think they're certainly used to just watching him online. So um, I think I was thinking of something in particular. Um, oh, I know what it was. Um, to my experience, especially in the last little while, I think people tend to find comfort in false belief. 
they believe wrongly about something and they see that as a source of they don't know they're believing wrongly about it i guess to be fair but they're believing something wrongly and finding comfort in it as opposed to wanting to know what something what the true doctrine is or what the truth thing is oh oh going back to something you said another place to look for comfort uh, i see on you know you see more and more of this in uh the psychics everybody want to go into the psychics to see you know is this the right relationship you know how's everything going to turn out that right. kind of or horoscopes yeah or um oprah you know oh yeah or, uh, Ellen. i mean and all those kind of fall into the, the my thinking about people finding comfort in false doctrine and false beliefs um and it's interesting though that when since the gospel is supposed to be comforting and since the truth is supposed to be a good thing to share why do some people when you try and share that with them not want to have anything to do with it they even think of doctrine as a bad thing you know so not quite sure about that yet <clears throat> because a lot of resistance to the law part yeah 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 if I do enough, if I serve enough, if I pray enough, or if I grow enough spiritually, I can be sure that God loves me. This is kind of you like me here? a bit of the mantra of uh, certain strains of Christianity where they're, um, did you have enough quiet time with God? How was your quiet time with God? Um, are you growing? Are you, and remember we talked about measuring not that long ago in one of the classes and it's like they're constantly measuring themselves and if they're falling short they're in despair and if they're convincing themselves how awesome they are then they're in pride which is why this book should have been just called the pendulum of pride and despair <laughs> so. so according to the law what is true according to the law we have all sinned and fallen short and fall short of the glory of god I always kind of say that wrong. So let's just say what it really says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the fall there sounds present tense. It's not just that we fell short at some point in the past. It's that we fall short. We're constantly falling short. And that should lead us to a particular behavior. What would that behavior be? Repentance. Yeah, exactly. Repentance. And in fact, this, this time we're in right now, even though we can't say with any amount of certainty, you know, this is, you know, sent for a particular reason or, you know, whatever, we can know that God uses these kind of times to drive people to repentance, to drive people closer to him. So we should be spending a decent amount of time. And it's Lent. So, hey, since it's yeah. Lent, we're supposed to be repenting all the time. That's, anyway. a, that's interesting, too, and all this is happening around Easter time, too. Oh, that's no accident either. Yeah, that's. I just thought about that last yeah. night while I was trying to sleep. But it was like, um, this is Easter, and this is Lent, and wow, maybe there's something there. I don't know. So can anyone say they have no sin? Of course not. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So have you ever met anybody that's kind of indicated, well, we talked about that a week or two ago too, where people, some people say, well, you know, I haven't sinned today or I haven't sinned in a while. And some people say, when I became a Christian, I stopped sinning. <clears throat> if I ever do, I will repent, but I am, I am, I am not a sinner. Okay, Gary's trying to join again. We'll admit him one more time. <laughs> um, so let's see, Mr. Stewart. He's still not connecting. I'm going to try one more time. He's got the video. I know, and I have three... I have three Garys. <laughs> so one of them, one of them has audio and video connected. So 
<clears throat> hopefully he's getting well, the real. Will the real Gary please stand up? Yeah. Um, is Gary? See, he's he's blank. He's in the gallery view and he's blank. Yeah. So we got to work that out, Gary. If you can hear me, I worked it out with Brian yesterday. We need to work it yeah, out with you. Three blank Garys. I see. <laughs> and the Garys in different places. The Gary, little Gary below. Exactly. Gary, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving along because I want to get to the, the second part of the lesson today. Um, what does that uh, this sin that we always have fight against? We have this sin that's always with us. That's um, it's not only um, that we say we have sin, but sin is always with us. What is what does the this sin that we always have fight against? It fights against any comfort we might find through through our obedience, right? Because we want to find comfort in doing, even in doing what God asks us to do. God says do this, and we want to do it and find comfort. Um, but it fights against any comfort we would like to find through through obedience. There's there's a new. Have we talked about the new monasticism in class before? It sounds familiar. We may, I may, we're going to have to do a special on that because there's this sense in a lot of Christianity where there's there's almost like they're returning to some form of, of um, monasticism and some form of monker, monkery, if you will. Um, and they that's that's when they get into comparing themselves, how many times a day they study and pray and and all this kind of stuff. Um, we find comfort not in the do of the law, but in the done of the gospel. That's where our comfort should be, yeah. right? In the work of Christ on the cross and in the font and the altar and in the word. It should be in the sacraments. Our, our comfort should be in Christ. It should be in what he has done for us, not in what we're going to do for him. Um, not that we shouldn't try. Um, but that's not where we should find our comfort because we'll be constantly filled with failure. All right. So what does finding our comfort not in ourselves but in Christ free us to do? That's where we get freed up to love our neighbor as ourselves. And this is the perfect time for that, to figure out how, how that, what that looks like. Does it look like staying home? Does it look like keeping your distance? Does it look like, um, I don't know working remotely. <laughs> well, yeah, it's even tougher than that because you talk about people's parents, they're in their 80s and they're told to stay away from them. Mm -hmm. and, and now the hospitals are saying you can't come and visit only under certain circumstances. People right, you, right. Very difficult. It makes it hard. So thankfully, in our world, we have technology and you can Skype with somebody or you can zoom with somebody um janet's best friend's mom is in a nursing home and she's in her 80s she's super healthy other than having some curvature of her spine that's kind of weird um but her daughter goes to see her sets stuff outside the door slides stuff under the door <laughs> and can't actually go in and see her mom her daughter works in a hospital so it makes it even more careful she has to be careful not to you know take anything with her and janet's taken it upon herself to call uh this lady um every day and uh we got to nine o'clock last night and she's like oh i forgot to call her i'm like well send her a text and see if she's awake she's an older person she could be asleep she could be awake you never know <laughs> um because she's wanting to connect with her and we're connecting through facetime with tons of people right now um but it sets us free to love our neighbor, not for our comfort, but for theirs. The point of loving neighbor is not to make yourself feel better, particularly. It's to see, it's to see the need your neighbor has and to love your neighbor. Like Steve's always talking about, it's like you have to build a relationship. You have to love your neighbor. You have to see the, the need there. Um, and not to build yourself up, not to say, hey, God, look how much I love that person. Look how great I did at building that relationship with that person. It's more to f for that person's. And, and usually that involves some form of, it should involve some form of sharing of the gospel with that person. Uh, what does American Christianity push us towards? It pushes us towards certainty 
through works. That's what they want. You, that's where they want to find their certainty of their salvation is in their works. And that's not, not that's sinking sand as far as I'm concerned. Um, how is God delighted with us? He's only delighted with us through Christ. He doesn't look at me or you or anybody else and say, well, look how awesome Chris is because he held a Zoom meeting this morning. It's more that he's delighted in me simply because of his son. Uh, and the fact that I'm like you guys, we're, we're in Christ and that delights God. Knowing that we do not have to work to please God, we can at last work to serve our neighbors and begin to love them as the Lord commands. And that's wrapping yep. that part up. It's the beginning of love. It's not ever finished. So can you say I love my neighbor completely and I don't have to try and love them tomorrow? Nope, you can't say that. There's always more to do. And uh, in the meantime, when we're doing it imperfectly, um, we need to repent and be forgiven and trust in the promises of God. What time is it? Oh, we got plenty of time. Wrestling with God. We're moving on. Wrestling with God. Why is why prayer is suffering? Think about that. Why prayer is suffering? Do you ever think prayer and suffering go together? Who wrestled with God? A lot of times we go to pray because we don't understand something and uh why are you like why are you forgotten us or why aren't you answering it or yeah yeah i don't know if it was last night or the night before but i was thinking about you know when times are good we tend to forget to pray you know and when times are bad that's when we pray like right now there's probably more people praying like after 9 11 you know a lot of people prayed for a while but when things settle down and things get back to normal Will all that shift back? Will people stop praying as much? See, this is different because in 9-11, it was done and over with, pretty much we were sure, and they were putting things back together again. We're in the midst of the battle, and we're not even sure how it's going to turn out. They keep talking about, right. even now, that we've been pretty well spared in Texas, but they talk about it's in Chicago, it's in Detroit, it's in Baton Rouge, it's working its way toward us, you know. So, well, if we can get people to stay home <laughs> and love their neighbor, yeah, you know, um, yeah, but we don't know. We don't know if, if come summer, this is looks like it's all gone, and I guess next fall, who knows? But, um, you know, don't watch too much news right now, bad for you. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob, the story of Jacob. So well, wrestling with God all night, isn't he? Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Uh huh. So the Christian does what? The Christian prays. That's what Christians do. Um, not not completely. Not perfectly i know there's lots of days when i'm you know pray more times than i do other days and certainly there's things that i think of to pray at, at night and i forget to um but christians pray the bible says and when you pray but when you pray and when you pray this is just three verses in matthew right when you pray say when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, you know, when you pray. Um, so God expects prayer from his, from his children. In American Christianity, what does prayer serve to do? How do they see prayer? It's something you want. <laughs> yeah, a laundry list, right? Uh, a gift list. It's a um, they tend to see it as a deepening of the relationship between the Christian and God. It's um, that two-way street, remember, you know, kind of thing. Uh, for them, prayer is thought of to be this two-way street, an expression of intimacy with God. I, I have that quiet time. I have my quiet time with God. I talk to him and he talked to me. Um, okay. 
did did he actually speak to you? <laughs> I mean, you just want to ask some questions. Um, but it's a, this expectation of I'm going to pray to God and I'm going to get an answer. And sometimes we never know the answer. We we know the answer is either yes or don't like it, or we don't like it. Yeah. Sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's maybe or wait. You know or whatever. But we don't actually hear that at the moment. We don't. Um, it's a different kind of way of, of praying uh, that they have this. And, and for them, prayer is an emotive and mo uh, thing and motivated by the desire to feel close to God. Is wanting to feel close to God bad? No. But, you know, God wants to be close to you. And he wants you to read his word and pray the Psalms and pray his word and stuff like that. He wants to, to connect with, with us. Um, is this the teaching and practice that the Bible gives us? Does the Bible want this kind of prayer that they tend to have? Of course the answer is no, right? The Bible gives us a much different teaching and practice of prayer. And something just flashed up and said, failed or something. Oh, Gary's trying to chat. Mm. Let me stop the screen share real quickly and see what's up. Um, uh -huh, Babylon, he says Babylon B. <laughs> if y'all know that's a satire site, right? Uh, or is this from Fred? It's from Fred. Oh, it's from Fred, yeah. <laughs> Joel oh, yeah. Ellerstein tests positive for heresy. That's pretty good. <laughs> 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 okay. All right, that we needed that. Thank you. Um, all right, back to the slides. Um, so let's find out what the Bible really does talk about when it talks about prayer. What does the Christian do in this life of sorrows and trouble, which we're in particularly right now? Praise. Praise, okay, praise. We pray, but we pray for the Lord's help and deliverance. Um, we, we could say, Lord, thank you for this time of sorrows and troubles. That'd be kind of interesting, but really we pray for God's help. God rescue us from this, this virus, Lord, you know, remove this virus from, uh, from the world, from our country, all that kind of stuff. Um, what does the Christian do in this life of joys and blessings? The other side of it. Come on. He prays, but he prays differently. We thank God for all his benefits at those times. We thank him for, we don't um, say, Lord, help me to be less joyful. Deliver me from these blessings. That wouldn't be right. Instead, we thank him. Thank you for the, the joys and blessings of this life, Lord, for life and breath and health and all those things. What does the Christian do in this life of forgiveness and mercy? Well, they confess their sins and ask for forgiveness. That's an interesting um, way to look at it, but that's what the Bible talks about. In times of sorrow, we pray for help. In times of joy, we thank the Lord. And in times of forgiveness and mercy, we confess our sins. And we trust in the Lord's forgiveness. Is prayer an easy thing? Nope. Yeah, you can't shake your heads. You have to actually talk. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Well, it should be though, right? Have you ever, do you remember back when you first were asked to pray out loud for the first time? It was not the easy thing to do. Um, there's, I would try, let Gary pray because Gary's, Gary's the good prayer. <laughs> Gary knows how to pray. Um, I stumble over myself all the time when I pray. And it's because of, of there's a reason for that. Um, prayer is not an easy thing. We learn prayer by experience. Have you ever prayed in a group? No. So you're not going to be very good at it. <laughs> you have to have some experience at it. And it's taught to us as well. 
sometimes we're taught by other people that pray out, you know, like Gary and other people. Um, sometimes we, we learn prayers by being just in church, right? The prayers of the church. Uh, I always want to pray more like that, you know, where, where it's like, you know, Lord in your mercy, hear our prayer kind of time. I want to pray more like that, but I, I can never remember exactly the words um, to say. I should write them down, I guess. Um, consider, let's consider Jacob. If you have your Bibles, which would be a weird thing to bring to a Bible study, um, you can go to Genesis and we'll look at that Genesis story a little bit. Here's part of it. Well, this isn't, this is like a summary, really. It says he stole his brother's birthright. That's what Jacob did. He stole his brother's birthright. And he ran away for 14 years. And in Genesis 32, he's headed back to the promised land and worried the entire way that Esau will kill him at first sight. So God comes to Jacob as he stands alone on the bank of the river Jabbok. Hmm. What should Jacob do? What should Jacob do? So his name's Jacob and the river is Jabbok. Okay. Jacob Jabbok. What does God do with Jacob? He wrestles with him. Yeah, exactly. Does he teach him though? No, not particularly. Does he comfort him? No, not particularly. Does he show him a miracle? No, not particularly. Does he give him a vision so that Jacob will know what the Lord that the that the Lord's on his side? No, not particularly. <laughs> he could have done all those things, but he didn't. Instead, Genesis says, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And this a man, who is this a man, right? Rose. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I drag this over here. Can you see it? Can you see what I just dragged over? Yeah, it just popped up. Okay. Um, this is from the Lutheran Study Bible. Uh, it says, um, the wrestler is the Lord of glory, God himself or God's son who is who was to become incarnate and who appeared and spoke to the fathers for God in his boundless goodness dealt very familiarly with his chosen patriarch, Jacob, and disciplined him as though playing with him in a kindly manner. Luther is so cool. <laughs> um, so with that in mind, we, we know that God grabs a hold of Jacob. He's like, what did Jacob do prior to verse 22? That's interesting. That's a good thing to know. What did Jacob do prior to? Uh, I had a screen for that, and I'm going to find it. There it is. Um, because I can. I'm going to drag this over here, too, because you guys can see these things. If you look in verse 9, what is Jacob doing prior to verse 22? I mean, he's, he's, yeah, he, um, he's on this journey, you know, I have blah, blah, blah. And um, then Jacob was greeted, uh, greatly afraid and distressed, remember, because he thought Esau was going to kill him on first sight. And then it says... Gary wants to join again. Good for him. Um, no, I didn't say that. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good 
and make your offering offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. See, see what he's doing there? This is a prayer, obviously. I'm going to keep admitting Gary till he actually shows up. He, he, he's in the midst of all this, and prior to God wrestling with him, he prays to God. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to turn on get the spotlight tool here. See how that works. Spotlight. See? Um, return to your country. Uh, that was a the part that I was, he's saying, please deliver me. So when we talked earlier about praying for deliverance, he's in a time of trial and a time of trouble, and he's praying for deliverance. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother. Um, but then here, down here in verse 12, it says, but you said, and you almost can kind of see him getting a little bit, you know, <laughs> you know like in God's face, so to speak. <laughs> it's like, but you said, God, you promised, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea. So keep your promise. It's kind of as if he's doing that. Um, but he's praying for deliverance, and he's recognizing God as God, and he's saying, I'm not worthy. So he's humbling. He's humbled. You know, there's humility there. And then please deliver me. And then he's like reminding God, but you said. And that's one great way to pray is to, um, to remind God of his promises. So, because God likes to keep his promises. Plus, it makes us have to read the Bible and find out what the promises are. <laughs> what is Jacob's response in this scenario? Right after, um, he said, and I'll put it up on the screen here. But he fought back. God started wrestling with him, and Jacob didn't just go, oh, you know, you win, right? He fought back all night long. He fought with him until the breaking of the day. Some people think that might have been like an eight-hour wrestling match. Can you imagine that? Plus, what's one of the first questions that you could ask in this scenario with Jacob? If he's wrestling with God, who could easily win, right? God, right? But God's wrestling with him, and he's wrestling with God for a long time until the breaking of the day. What does God try to do if you read through the text there? I probably have it up on the screen, but... If you read through the text, um, a man wrestled with him to the regular. When the man saw that he did not prevail for Jacob, well, we'll skip that because we're coming to that later. And here in verse 26, then he said, let me go, or the day has broken. Like God has to leave since the day's, the next day has started. But God tries to get away, and Jacob's holding on to him. Like, No. I'm not going to let you go. Will you bless me? And he says, let me go for it. And God, this is God, the he should be a capital H. Let me go for the day has broken. So I've wrestled with you all night, Jacob. Now let me go. You've wrestled with me. Um, what is Jacob's condition for letting God go, letting the man go? Would you, you just said it, Steve. Yep, bless me. Give me a blessing. Said, so, but Jacob said, "I will not let you go unless you bless me." Thanks. That's pretty demanding. Kind of pretty self-righteous of 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 Jacob. <laughs> you know. Um, Jacob won't let him go without a blessing. It's like if he knew it was God, he didn't. You know, then it would be like God. You know, I'm dealing with this, you know, I'm not, I'm going to keep bugging you with this until you give me a blessing. <laughs> what did God do to Jacob? So what did God do to Jacob? Well, God touches Jacob's hip and knocks it out of the socket, right? 
which would mean Jacob would be limping for the rest of his life. And it even says uh, at the end of that part that um, they no longer eat the sinews of the thigh because of that in Israel. Just kind of interesting. Um, I don't have that here, but you can see right here, it says, therefore to this day, the people of Israel do not need the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So they turned something into a law. Did God tell them to not eat it? I'm not sure. Um, there's a good question. Is this the kind of behavior you might expect from God? That he would wrestle with yes. somebody all night long and then just throw their hip out of joint? Um, but really, if you think about it, whatever you might expect God to do with Jacob, this isn't it. You wouldn't necessarily expect him to behave like this. This is more like, you know, non-God behavior. Um, so I'm going to wrestle with you all night when I could have won right off the bat. And then at the very end, I'm going to knock your hip out of joint. There you go. But that's how it is with God. He doesn't always... He doesn't always do things the way that we think they should be done. Um, oh, interesting question. What is prayer not like? That's a tough question because you have to know the context. <laughs> Sorry. Prayer is not putting, and this was brought up earlier, but prayer is not putting a quarter in the heavenly vending machine like Santa Claus God you know, uh, or whatever, and vending machine God and pushing the right button and so a blessing <laughs> will fall upon us. That's not how it works. It's not the the old put the coin in the coffer, you know, get a blessing kind of thing. That's that's not how it works. Um, but some people think of that when they think of prayer, right? Seems like some people approach prayer from a standpoint of they're just going to tell God what they need and want and he's got to give it to them. But he's not obligated. Uh, so if that's what prayer is not like, what is prayer like? Mm. Prayer aligns you with the will of God. Yeah, exactly. You know how long it took me to, to hear somebody say that? Not <laughs> like right now, but I mean like in my life. It took me a long time to hear somebody say that it's more us coming into line with God's will than us having our way. I wish I would have learned that a lot younger. Um, prayer is wrestling with God, basically grabbing a hold of his promises. Remember I told earlier about learning the promises. Um, and even if he tries to get away, we don't let go until he gives a blessing, until he keeps his promise. It's like, if God, I will never leave you or forsake you. You said you were never going to leave me or forsake me, God, so don't go anywhere. You know? <laughs> um, I promise that you will have the forgiveness of sins uh, through the absolution and through the Lord's Supper. It's a promise, you know. Um, but it seems like that's just not how a lot of people deal with it. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So this is where Jacob's name gets changed. What does Jacob mean? Deceiver. Yeah, I think I, I've, I've always heard surplanter, you know, one who, who sows strife. You know, tries to get in and stir the pot a lot um, in a bad way. But it didn't seem like that was what Jacob was doing in his life, except for the fact that he stole his brother's birthright. There is that. <laughs> Tough question. What are you? <laughs> Sinner. Sinner, yes. But you are also Israel. Did you know that? Yep. You are Israel. You are a Christian. How do we get from Israel to Christian? Only through Jesus. Right. 
this is something that a lot of not a lot of people understand either i think is that you know if you're a christian you are israel um you're also one who wrestles with god and you therefore should be one who prays that's who you should be you are israel you are christian and as a christian you wrestle with god and you do that through prayer and I guess that's when it comes down to, is it a yes or a no or a maybe? And are you willing to trust that you may not ever get the answer, you know, or at least, you know, we want to get the answer before things happen, I think. <laughs> I'm going to pray and I want God to say, yes, I'm going to answer that for in, your, in, in advance uh, in your favor. And then I'm going to do it. And instead, we usually see things looking back more like, you know, like, we pray for something and we look back and go, oh, you know, God did answer that one yes, or he did answer that one no, or he still hasn't answered that one yet. Romans says this, it says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed for not all who are descendant from Israel belong to Israel and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. That's how we get to be Israel, right? because we're children of the promise. And that is pretty cool. And then Luther had this to say. He said, Israel means a prince or God's fighter. That is, he who wrestles with God and wins. This happens through that faith which holds so firmly to God's word until it overcomes God's wrath and obtains God as the gracious father. You know, Luther struggled with that early on a lot, right? Where he only saw God as angry. So he was constantly wrestling with God. He, was, he would have really understood this idea of um, wrestling with God. And then the gospel came and he realized that God is a God of mercy. Um, so he just wrestled with him long enough to get that. And I think that we can't take that for granted. I don't think, sorry, I don't think that we can get so comfortable with that, that we, we cease striving. We cease wrestling with God about stuff. Um, any thoughts on that? I think we're getting close to the end. Yeah. Amazingly, we're going to be done on time. I think it's because Gary's mic wasn't working. <laughs> Picking on you, Gary. I have you muted. No, I don't have you muted. His microphone has to be working in some way because that's where my feedback is coming from. Yeah, we'll get that figured out next week. All right. Any final thoughts on that before we go in? Because next week we're going to start talking some basics of prayer. We're going to go into prayer 101 and the four things we need to know first about prayer. That's going to be a fun week. Well, that's it for today, guys. We got everybody, I think, on the, on the list. Let me stop sharing now. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's nine of us online. We can see Gary, but we just can't talk to him. <laughs> So, I'm still hearing some feedback from somewhere, but that's okay. Um, let's go ahead and um, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great day, and we thank you for this uh, different but uh, yet good way of gathering together to be about the study of your Word. Lord, we pray your hand of mercy on our world and on our country and on our state and on our local communities, Lord, that um, you deliver us from this coronavirus, uh, Lord, uh, that no more loss of life will, will come about and that uh, all the people who might be at risk are kept safe and that um, we all will remember during this time to, uh, to stay uh, in repentance to stay and trust in your promises and to remember your command that we love our neighbor as ourselves. However, that 
looks in our individual vocations and in our individual lives and in our individual ways. For those we know who are suffering from uh, some form of illness, other than that, whether it's cancer or other things, Lord, we ask your blessing on them. Please, Lord, uh, if it's your will, bring about a cure for all these cancers, uh, provide safe treatments for these people at this time, and uh, lead and guide them and keep them surrounded with faithful people that will continue to um, just share your love with them. Thank you for the ability to virtually uh, gather as a church body. Lord, we also pray that, that soon we'll all be able to return to gathering together, Lord, and especially that we'll be able to return to receiving your body and blood in the sacrament. For that's uh, just a tremendous nourishment for us, Lord. And it's a, just a, a, a thing that we, we want desperately and we should always be able to have. Um, and I know some churches are trying to work out how to do that, um, even at these tough times, that people can come in smaller numbers. But whatever uh, we need to do, Lord, just your blessing on that. And bring us back uh, next week to continue our studies through this book. And if it's your will, Lord, that we have a midweek study, I pray that you'll um, uh, lead and guide us in that direction and give me uh, things that, uh, that the group needs to, to hear from you and that we can discuss and learn. Just ask all of this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Thank you, gents. Thank you, Chris. It's been Thank great. You, Chris. Thanks, Chris. You're welcome.